the ECB, primary mandate is really price stability. The next thing we do is uh, banknotes. So we're basically making sure that there's cash out there. The last part um, that we're thinking about is banking supervision. So we're trying to make sure that our banking system is healthy. Digitalization, in my opinion, is, is not programming. Digitalization is a mindset. It's making sure that whatever we do, whatever process we change or, or introduce, the very first thing has to be, the very first thought has to be, how can we use technology in order to simplify that for us? Leadership is just, it's, it's just a job. And it's not the most important job. The most important job is done where people produce things, where they generate value. As a leader, I'm in a supporting role for them, not the other way around. This is CRNet TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Claudia Plattner, who is the Director General of Information Systems at European Central Bank. A very warm welcome, Claudia. Thank you so much for the invitation, Hendrik. Pleasure to be here. Claudia, you have a Master of Mathematics from the Darmstadt Technical University. You also studied in Nashville in the US, and you worked eight years at Deutsche Bahn amongst uh, these years, four years as the CIO of uh, DB Systel. And you joined the European Central Bank in the summer of 2021. So Claudia, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Who are you? And uh, how did you arrive in this position? It seems like you checked out my LinkedIn account, huh? So it's, uh, it's got all the data, all the CV, but of course there's stories behind that, right? So um, yes, you pointed out that I'm a mathematician. I am, mm -hmm. by training and by heart. But to be perfectly honest, it wasn't the first uh, uh, matter that I started to study. Mm -hmm. I started out as an engineer. Okay. And very soon learned that this is not what I wanted to do. And so I dove into mathematics because one professor talked about the beauty and the elegance <laughs> of mathematics, and I was inspired by that. Mm -hmm. And so I switched, uh, and I've never ever regretted that. Um, so it's been, it's been great. Um, so you see, it's not always a straight line. Sometimes you need to take some detours to get there. Uh, another example, yes, I, I did work a lot, uh, make some steps in my career, but at some point I realized that I have to think about what I want to do with the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I took more or less half a year off, and I went to Latin America, and basically, between two palm trees, uh, that's the perfect spot to find out what you want to do with the rest of your life, if you have the time mm -hmm. and maybe some rum cocktails to go with that. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought about it. And uh, my, my main motivation also for today working at the ECB is that I want to give back to society. Okay. So I like to believe I know what I'm doing. I like to believe I'm good at what I do. Mm -hmm. um, so the question is, what do I do with it? Okay. And so I figured I want to go into the public sector. I want to give back to society. Started out at Deutsche Bahn. German Railway, where um, this is also a state-owned company, yep. um, and thus giving back there, making sure that public transport works, uh, or I can, I can contribute to that. Yep. That was my motivation there, and it's the same motivation that now makes me work for uh, the European Central Bank, giving back to this society I live in. Okay, super. And the European Central Bank, we all have an idea of what this bank does, but, but we really don't understand. So could you explain for us mere mortals, what is it that the ECB really does? I'll try. Um, so, so first of all, uh, the one thing, the primary mandate is really price stability. And as we can all see in the news these days, this is, uh, it's a lot harder than it sounds. Yeah. So the next thing we do is uh, banknotes. Mm -hmm. So we're basically making sure that there's cash out there. Yeah. Yeah? So people have money. Um, and they can actually, you know, it's, it's physical, it's there. 
Um, and the, the last part um, that we're thinking about is banking supervision. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to make sure that our banking system is healthy yeah. by looking at it um, and taking the appropriate actions. So those are three of the main pillars of what yeah. we do. So price stability, stable banks, mm -hmm. and euro notes and coins. Uh, Indeed. And uh, European Central Bank is basically a collaboration of all the national banks? Maybe not a collaboration, but we do work in, a Euro, in the so-called Euro system. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the, um, the system of the European Central Banks together with all the national central banks okay. of all the, of the countries that are indeed ha have adopted the Euro. Yeah. Um, and uh, in addition to that, we have the banking supervision where it's different partners. So that's the okay. so-called national competent authorities, mm -hmm. which, for example, in, in Germany would be the BaFin, which is well known. And in other countries, it's either the central bank as well, or they have their own institute as well. Okay. Uh, how big is the ECB in total in, in number of people and how many in, in IT? So um, the ECB itself is approximately 4,000 people, plus mm -hmm. minus a few. Um, and in IT, we're approximately 300. 300, okay. Yes, internals. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about, um, you already mentioned price stability is a big uh, thing, inflation, we're living in, uh, in special times nowadays, but what are the main challenges that the ECB as an organization is facing today? Well, besides the most obvious ones that we can read in the press, uh, mm -hmm. naturally, it's, it's very much about making sure that we're up for future challenges. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're living in a world where we have climate change threatening all of us. Yeah. So, and uh, don't even think about this, but at the end of the day, also climate change has a financial dimension, yeah. which will reach us, which affects and, and, uh, and impacts our mandate. So yeah. we have to be prepared for that. So one, one really important thing there is, for example, data. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that we have all the data we need, that we can take it on board, that we can make sense of it, generate the right insights in order to make sure that we have good policy making. Yeah. Also in a world that's rapidly changing, rapidly changing and will, will increase to change. Yeah. So we're, taking, we're talking about a lot more data coming in that has to be made sense of, and that's just climate change. So we have all the geopolitical tensions we're currently experiencing. Mm -hmm. They have something to do with our mandate. Yeah. And again, we have to make sure, and this is me, the IT side speaking, because I am from IT. Yeah. My job is not to make sense of that data. That's others who yeah. really know that quite well, a lot better than I do. But I need to make sure together with my incredible team that indeed, we allow for them to be able to make sense of it. We need to provide the technology. We need to, to, um, to make sure that we can filter it, that we can bring worlds together, that we can generate this, this holistic view. Yeah. So that's our job. Okay. Now you say, and rightly so, there's many, many things that are changing and, and, and we live in special times, but also something that's really changing is your core business, is, is money the, the, and, and cash is, is king. But cash is changing as well, and so uh, cryptocurrency is a big, a big thing at the moment. So, what's the what's the position of the of the bank, and and are we going to see a digital euro? And have you do you have your systems ready for that? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I can. Um, so this is ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, it's public knowledge, so so definitely let's talk about this. It's a very very important topic. Mm -hmm. First of all, I I strongly believe that we as the ECB also need to make sure that in digital times, we do, a play, we do play a role there. Of course. Because there's a whole new world, um, the metaverse being just uh, something that's, that's coming up. Yeah. Um, and there are other things like cryptocurrencies, you mentioned that, non-fungible tokens, all of this. All of this is kind of like, a, like an additional dimension to how we use money. Yeah. 
And this is increasing because the digital world itself is increasing. Yeah. Yeah? And I always keep on saying that we need to, to take this into account as well um, from the digital side. Yeah. So again, me as the IT partner basically trying to make sure that we can take this on board. Um, and we, we do see this. So I always envision also a world where you know, my, my electric car can settle the bill or could settle the bill mm -hmm. with the electric charging station. What do they need me for? They don't. Yeah. Yeah? That, that's not possible right now um, for various reasons, including legal and all of that. But it could be the state of play in the future. Yeah. And that means we have to be prepared for that. We need to, be a, we need to, to play a role in this mm -hmm. if we are to make sure that we can execute our mandate. Yeah. So the, the digital euro for us is, of course, something very, very important. We're working on it. Mm -hmm. And um, as you can read in the press, um, we have kind of like a, like a five-year phase. Mm -hmm. So that's a two-year investigation phase. We're right in the middle of it. Oh. Um, so that started beginning of this year. And so we were, we were thinking about the design, uh, prototyping, that kind of thing, talking to all the, all the stakeholders. And then if we decide to move forward, there would be a three-year um, implementation phase. So hopefully um, we will see something by the end of 26. Okay. But that's all very exciting because yes, that's it all is. new. That's uh, very exciting. And new currencies possibly and so on. So uh, that, will, that will be great. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the challenges. So we talked about price stability, inflation is, a, is, 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 is in global for the economy a challenge, the um, uh, geopolitical situation, uh, uh, digital currencies, there's many, many things that are changing, uh, but also our teams, our people uh, are, are, are changing. And so what I wanted to come to is we have witnessed over the last uh, months and year or so, and, and there has been uh, certainly COVID crisis and pandemic has played a role in there. We have witnessed the great resignation or sometimes called the great migration. So that's what I wanted to talk to you, uh, with you a little bit uh, more about. We see that people are leaving big corporates and, and, and they need and they're expecting uh, other things for companies nowadays uh, to work for. So how does that impact your organization? Do you see that also at the ECB that a great resignation is going on and, and how do you uh, how are you able to attract and retain the right talent uh, in, in the organization and specifically maybe in IT? Uh, very good question. That one we could talk about, I don't know, for like two hours or something. Um, but just a, just a few key points. So first of all, um, wh what do people seek in their job? Mm -hmm. uh, of course, they need something that actually fits their life and their idea about life. Uh, I think that's something we need to understand today. That wasn't so much of an issue like 20 years ago, but it is now. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a given. Um, at the same time, what people really seek uh, um, is they want to do something meaningful. Mm -hmm. They want this to make sense. Yeah. Yeah? So, of course, this, this, this purpose uh, hype that's been going on for quite a few years. Um, but at but the it's, end of real. The day, it's real. It, it's that's very it. real. Yeah. It's very real. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's always been that way. Just now we give it a name. Yeah. Yeah? So um, most people are looking for something meaningful to do with their life, mm -hmm. which is perfectly understandable. It's yeah. the reason I am where I am. And here's the good news um, for the ECB. Most people are there for exactly the same reason that I'm there, mm -hmm. which is we want to give something back. We strongly believe that there are big problems to be solved. And we want to be part of the solution. Yeah. So we also believe that we can only do this together. Not one nation, not, not uh, one corporation, but at the end of the day, we as society have to do this. Mm -hmm. And so we are there to contribute to this. Yeah. And that's a strong driver. 
So on the, on, in the purpose dimension, uh, the ECB still scores high. Okay. Um, so that helps. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, also the, the working benefits aren't that bad at all. Yep. But uh, nonetheless, we do feel the heat also mm -hmm. from the big um, um, com uh, competitors. So we had a few people leaving and each and every one hurts. But my message to you all, please come back. We were very happy to take you back. Yeah. And I can also imagine that your, the international aspects of, of, of your business is, uh, is interesting and attractive for people, right? Yes, it is, definitely. It's yeah. very exciting. So whenever you have a teleconference, you have people from Helsinki to Lisbon all in. Yeah. Okay. Now, people join because they believed uh, in the purpose of Europe. Uh, they join because they're well paid, they join because it's an international company. Um, and, but I can imagine that you need to do sometimes more as well, I mean, especially to keep people. So the well-being, I mean, working from home is, not, is, is a given, but still it's not, an easy, not always easy to manage that. And, and so to keep people connected and to make sure that we care about the well-being of, of, uh, of our people, of, of our employees, how do you look at that and what do you put in place to make sure that your teams that are all over the world, I can understand, uh, how do you manage that? Also a very, very a big question on which we should be spending more uh, mm -hmm. than two hours or two minutes or whatever. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's a very, very important question and my biggest challenge right now is making sure that people don't work too much. Okay. So interestingly enough, uh, we have a lot of people who are willing to jump in during breaks, during vacations. And so I really want to make sure that they don't work too much. So mm -hmm. we have a, a kind of like an offer motivation, mm -hmm. which uh, uh, is from a, from a management point of view, maybe a situation of luxury, but it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's really important making sure that people can stay within their limits, uh, or time limits. And also, and that's something that I personally care very much about, is that they can work flexibly. We need to make sure that they can still have a life and they can, f they can fit this all in. Yeah. Uh, so this is something I really care about, but this is only one side of things. The other thing is how do you motivate people? What, does, what gives them energy? Mm -hmm. What definitely drains their energy is they have to deal with administrative things, with repetitive tasks, with, yeah. you know, I, I know where you're getting at, so everyone is trying to, to improve that, but for an institution, this holds double for the simple reason that, of course, we are bound to lots of rules and regulations mm -hmm. and trying to make sure that this is not killing people's energy yeah. or the bureaucracy that has to come with it or the compliance rules that come, have to come with it. That's one of the main challenges in order to make sure that people stay with us. Yeah, Claudia, a, a personal um, uh, interest of me is that we also have, with CIRN, an international team. Uh, and, and that's one of the fun factors, I think, of, yes. of uh, working international is cool. But, and, and working remote is cool and so on. And I know your team is, is, is global as well. But how do you manage the remote hiring? Because I find it so difficult to, that remote hiring is so, for me, so much more difficult than, than, than hiring in people that you see. And uh, so how, how do you manage that? Well, I think we've become quite accustomed to that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, first of all, hiring all across Europe is something we do and have been doing for <laughs> decades really mm -hmm. already. So um, um, all EU nationals uh, are eligible to, to work um, yeah. at the European Central Bank. And uh, all our campaigns always run all over Europe. So that's, that's a given. Okay. So, and and um, it's just a, 
of course, it's every, every time we do a campaign, it's in English. Yeah. And we always expect there to be indeed uh, applications from all over the place, mm -hmm. which is good. Um, and then we do it just like everyone else. We, we go, we run through um, the campaign, we do interviews, yeah. uh, we do tests, uh, the whole works, depending on the position. Um, and uh, it used to be more in person, but these days it's really very much uh, also done remotely. Yeah. And I think it worked quite well. It's a little bit more formalized than it would be in a company, in a corporate mm -hmm. company. So it's, there's lots of rules to be obeyed um, yeah. because we need to make sure that this is sound. But other than that, it works quite well. Okay. Let's also talk a bit about diversity and inclusion. Um, because I've seen on LinkedIn that you're promoting your women in your IT yes, team and so on. Yes. So, so how, do you, how far are you in that? Are you, are you meeting your quota? Do you have quota? How do you work on, on, on diversity and inclusion? Well, I definitely can say that we have not enough women in IT. Mm -hmm. So that much is for sure. And uh, the, the campaign you've seen on LinkedIn is really born from a, from, a, from a moment where I thought the ones we have are amazing. Yeah. So that's really like, wow, they're really, really strong people and, and they're really, they want to move things and they're doing an, an, an incredible job. And I thought, you know, we're always looking for, toward a quota, which is good. I think we need one. Personal, yeah. personal statement, I think we need one. And we're not there yet. We need to do a lot more. But, you know, let's, let's look at the ones that we have because they really are amazing. Let's make sure that they are seen. And so this is why I, I basically suggested this campaign yeah. and it was taken up with enthusiasm. Um, and uh, it's amazing how many people uh, really address this. So apparently it has an impact. That's wonderful. Yeah. So if more women apply because they've seen this and they understand that they are being seen, mm -hmm. then this would be an amazing effect and I would be very happy to see yeah. that. But the main problem is there's just not enough candidates. That's, uh, that's the problem, no? Or not? Yes, it is. But on the other hand, I mean, there's more candidates than, than, than it's usually made out to be, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so you just have to look and you have to encourage. Yeah. There are also lots of, of uh, uh, not just female, but also other, other areas of, of uh, diversity um, candidates. You just got to go look there, yeah. you know? You have to reach out to them. Um, and for me, that's, that's really important. Okay, so we talked about making uh, work purposeful, of, of making sure that people um, join because they, they believe in the purpose of the company. We have to uh, look out for their well-being. We have to make sure that the team is diverse. So many important aspects to create a culture yes. uh, of, of where it's attractive uh, to work. Uh, and an important aspect as well is the job that people are doing. And you mentioned already that we have to take away their repetitive, boring parts of their job. So let's talk a little bit about automation. Automation, RPA, uh, low-code, no-code, artificial intelligence. Where are you in that, uh, in, in that, on that road? How, uh, how far are you in automating the boring parts of, uh, of people's jobs? I would have to say we are right in, um, mm -hmm. but uh, um, only started, let's say, about half a year ago, or something mm -hmm. like that, or maybe a year ago. So we have a very, very clear goal to use robotic process automation we, uh, and to use no-code, low-code platforms um, for, for two things. One of them is actually making sure that we can scale digitalization also in the business areas. Mm -hmm. Digitalization should not be an IT topic. It's a business topic. It's primarily a business topic and yeah. it should be driven by business. Mm -hmm. So our role in IT is making sure that this can scale 
So we're trying to introduce all these all these tools and methods yeah. in the business, making sure it's available. Also providing the guardrails, which is a which is a totally new role for IT. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing we want to use it for. The other thing we want to use it for is to make sure that we can get rid of indeed all the repetitive tasks mm -hmm. and get the automation behind that. Yeah. Because this is what, at the end of the day, will people will free up people to do what people do best, which is being creative, which is solving problems, which is connecting to each other, and thus making sure something new can 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 evolve. Mm -hmm. So um, we are right in the middle of it. We have the the solutions in place. Yep. We're currently trying to 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 get them into the business areas on a, on a grander scale. Mm -hmm. And as I said, that needs a repositioning from our side in IT. We need to make sure that this is safe and sound yeah. um, so that it can be used. But it's really right now already all over the place. Yeah. RPA is really taking off. Because, I, can, I mean, you live in a very regulated, controlled yes. environment, so quality regulations are very, very key. Uh, so that also means that putting in place new systems, new ways of working, uh, it's, it's not the easiest thing, maybe. But also, I can, I, I can imagine that automating tasks also can add to the quality of the work. Because then you're sure that there's no human mistakes that can be made. And, yes. and, and, and because robots are supposed to make no, no mistakes, right? Or at least as, as far as they, they're programmed. What are the first domains where you, where you have success with automation and, and can you talk a little bit about the results? We have plenty of areas where we currently um, have or re where we have recently introduced mm -hmm. solutions. So uh, something that really works nicely is, for example, some, some chatbots for some um, internal questions. So people have questions, yeah. they reach out to cross-functional areas and now there's a chatbot that may be able to, to already answer quite a bit of those questions, quite yeah. a few of those questions. So it reduces the workload on the cross-functional areas and they can actually focus on bringing changes like uh, in HR or like in, in compliance. And some of the questions are coming up again and again and again. Yeah. You can have a chatbot for that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so, some, some other things, we've just done something very recently. Um, you, you mentioned it, it's very hard to get new systems uh, uh, introduced because you have to go through a lot of paperwork. Mm -hmm. Because indeed, trust, security, data protection, all of that is key within yeah. our institu institution. We have to make sure that we get this right. So what we, what we did uh, just recently is basically we tried to, to standardize the way we interact with some of the, uh, the, the, um, some of the other departments we have to um, basically take into the process, mm -hmm. for example, our uh, data protection office. Mm -hmm. yes? So now we have standardized way of submitting those, those documents, and that's a lot faster, you know, just ticking the boxes yeah. instead of writing up huge documents. So it sounds trivial, yeah. but it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. And if we con consistently apply more and more methods, no-code, low-code, uh, um, robotics for that, mm -hmm. it really reduces the workload on people and it also stops draining away their energy. Yeah. This can be done easier. Now, most people don't like change. Huh? Most people. Uh, as long as it doesn't impact ourselves. Yes, of course, right? of course. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I would say in, in, in changing working methods, changing working environments, changing the way that people work, there's a natural conservatism uh, within people. So how do you make sure that the, the business people that you work with, that they're happy that you start to automate uh, their work uh, with, with you, with robots and so on? Oh, I think with the automation, they're pretty happy. So mm -hmm. I think th that works fine. I think there are other things with which they're not that happy, <laughs> but yeah, let's just not talk about that. Mm -hmm. So um, 
all in all, I, I, I think that works. Uh, to be perfectly honest, um, I do embrace change. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe a little bit more than the average. So therefore, I cannot properly relate to the resistance to change. And for me, that means I need to have other people who can relate to okay. it. <laughs> so, so therefore, um, um, we try to make sure that we have uh, indeed change agents in place. Mm -hmm. I personally communicate a lot. I, I speak a lot, so my main job is really drinking coffee and talking to mm -hmm. people, explaining things um, over and over again. Yep. Um, because the only way we can, we can introduce change is really by making sure that we get people on board. And I remember um, a guy from, from Texas um, who, who once told me, well, if you, if you want to introduce change, it's kind of like getting people from one side of the canyon to the other side of the canyon. And there's three ways to do this. One of them is you light a fire on their side, then they will find a way to get across. The other one is you place someone at the other end who's waving and saying, hey, it's really nice here. Then they will also find a way to get across. And the last thing is, of course, building a bridge so that people can easily cross. And he said, um, any change strategy, any successful change strategy is always a combination of the three. So this is why I always run around and try to find my lighter, you know. Yep. And then I would say that in general, IT departments, uh, digital departments, I mean, it's the core of the, we are change agents in organizations, right? So yes, that, we are. I mean, that's, that's an important role, I would say, to make sure that we provide tools and methods and, and, and the systems to create change and do the digital transformation of, 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 org, uh, of organizations. So maybe we can reflect a little bit um, in, in, and take a step back. Um, you've been running this now for a couple of years, the, 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 the IT department in ECB. What's the, the bigger digital transformation, the bigger transformation that you're, uh, you're going through with, with, with your IT department? So, so first of all, it's only been one year. Okay. Uh, I tend to forget that every now and then. Um, and then I realize what we've managed to do in a year, so I'm not complaining. Mm -hmm. uh, so far, so good, even though I'm always impatient, uh, but a lot of things have changed. So I think we have to differentiate a little bit between what we need to do in terms of digitalization for the whole bank mm -hmm. and what we need to do in IT. Okay. Yeah, digitalization for me is something that is not so much about IT, even though IT is an enabler here. Yeah. And it can also be a driver. And, and we try to do this. We try to push. Yeah. Yeah? So of course, because IT um, or digital is really, it's right in the middle of production, even for policy making. You need the tools, you need all of this. So we're part of the production. Yeah. And that's the role we need to understand and we need to place ourselves there as well. So we cannot watch the business from the sidelines because what we produce is, is needed in there. Yeah, yeah. So we need to be there. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, this is the, the, the first thing. Um, for the IT itself, we're very much looking towards a, a, a DevOps model. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that we can, can produce in a very modern kind of way with time to markets that are really low so that we can, that we can deliver and provide what's needed. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the, uh, the digitalization of the, um, of the whole bank, um, hopefully we're not the only ones in this and we aren't. We have very, very strong business departments and they yeah. should be the drivers and are the drivers yeah. for the digital transformation, sometimes more, sometimes less. Yeah. And we want to be a partner in this. Mm -hmm. So that's a different kind of, of positioning there. Okay. In different organizations, you have different maturity, I would say, from the boards around, around digital, where they want to take digital and how they uh, see the importance uh, and the important role of, of digital technologies uh, in the organization. 
how, where do you think uh, the um, the thinking is in general at ECB? Are you on the forefront? Are our management really looking at digital as a central tool to change the function? And how do you see your role as CIO in inspiring the top team in the bank? I would have to say that, that our board at the ECB very well understands this. Mm -hmm. They are indeed uh, behind this and they're pushing and they're actually demanding. Okay. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think they're extremely supportive when it comes to that. Um, um, for me, the, the one quote that we even have used in our digital strategy is from Fabio Panetta, uh, from our board member who's also uh, driving the, the Digital Europe. Um, mm -hmm. um, and he's, he said, we are moving into a digital era. Mm -hmm. And I think that, sums, that says it all, really. Um, and so we have the full support there. Um, in terms of what does that mean and what do we need to do now, yep. we have different maturities. Uh, of course, in, in some areas, in some business areas, it's very far advanced. Yep. So uh, traditionally, on the supervisory side, they're, they're, they're more into digital means. Mm -hmm. The problem is usually bigger, so that, that really drives the demand there. Yep. Um, and in some um, more, um, in, in other business areas, it's a little bit less evolved, yeah. um, but at the end of the day, it, it's all moving, mm -hmm. just at, for the time being, maybe here and there at somewhat different speeds, but the whole bank is moving in this direction and they do know it and they do embrace it. Okay, let's talk about AI for a moment, mm -hmm. uh, because this is a major development, I would say, and, and, and we talked about data and be data being so important and making sure that you have the, the right data and information systems available for, for policymakers to, to make very important decisions for all of our lives. So, so how does AI play a role in that and where are you in general in adoption of, of, of let's say, this new world and, and, and this new set of tools and, and methods available? Um, first, first of all, I always like to say that data is our superpower. Mm -hmm. Data is our superpower. Yep. And it, it was in fact an intern who came up with that slogan and I think it, it really, it hits the mark. Mm -hmm. yeah? Data is our superpower. It's the one thing that we, that we have and that we need in order to do our job properly. So with um, more and more data coming in and more and more and more data being needed in order to take good decisions in a very complex world, in yeah. an increasingly complex world, we need to make sure that we can handle this properly. And there is absolutely no way with the amounts of data we see coming our way to be able to handle this manually. Mm -hmm. So we do need AI to help us make sense of it. Yeah. So where are we in, in terms of maturity? We've started and we have quite a few uh, services um, productive. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them actually in the area of uh, natural language processing. Mm -hmm. So document summarization, sentiment analysis, that kind of thing. Okay. So um, lots of things there. Um, and again, uh, mostly so far on the supervisory side, but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. And it's now extending piece by piece also into, into the other areas. So it's something we're actively looking at, mm -hmm. actively looking at that we want to pursue. And the next steps really will be to, to promote the usage on a wider scale by making like standard AI services readily available. Yeah. And um, also introducing like repeatable patterns for making sure that we have the right life cycles also for more complex models, for bespoke models yeah. that of course do play a role in, in, in simulations for example and things like that. And could you give one specific example in, in supervisory for instance how uh, AI helps the bank to be more clever or to have a more clever process? Well first of all it uh, stops you from having to read uh, like 
you know, documents with 100 pages and stuff. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you have an AI that actually helps you uh, sort out if there's something interesting in there and what it is. Okay. So that's, that's really important. Another thing that we really um, have to look into is um, how are the, 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 um, the things we publish, how are they received? So, for example, in, 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 the, um, in the press. Mm -hmm. So this is something where you can actually get some, gain some insights. Yeah. So there's, there's all kinds of different areas, um, mostly, as I said, in the area of language, natural language processing for now. Okay, super. So, Claudia, you uh, told us you have about 300 people in IT. Mm -hmm. um, explain us a little bit, how is that organized? And is IT and digital, is that one thing? Do you use these two terms? Explain us how IT and digital is organized in the ECB. Well, first of all, um, IT, that, that's, that's, that's one department. And it's right now organized in a rather classical way. Um, we're looking towards DevOps models. So uh, mm -hmm. when we look at that IT department in two years' time, it will look totally different from okay. what it is today. Um, we want to make sure that we have uh, as much a decentralized way of, of, of working and decision-making as anyhow possible within, the, EC, uh, within the, the directorate, making sure that people can assume an end-to-end -end responsibility mm -hmm. because that's the only way you can get out all the friction of the system. Yeah. So that's something we're looking at in, in, in terms of IT. Um, in terms of digitalization, as stated before, that needs to be in every corner of the bank. That's not an IT thing. Mm -hmm. um, and also, we have great many tech-savvy people in the business areas. Mm -hmm. um, they've been programming their own, I don't know, Python scripts, MATLAB, whatever, uh, in okay. order to do their, to do their business. Um, so we're not talking about IT being only in IT. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's happening there. And digitalization, in my opinion, is, is not programming. Digitalization is a mindset. Mm -hmm. It's thinking about, I always say that, it's, uh, it's making sure that whatever we do, whatever process we change or, or introduce, the very first thing has to be, the very first thought has to be, how can we use technology in order to simplify that for us? Yeah. So that's the spirit, and that's what digitalization is all about. And as you can see, the, the technology then is not the most important thing. The important thing is having that yeah. thought. But how is it organized? You have a build department, a run department, you have a demand management, you have a PMO office. How is that? What's the structure today and how do you, what, what kind of opera, IT operational model do you want to move to? Okay, so, so first of all, we, we are indeed a, um, a classical IT Mm -hmm. uh, directorate right now, meaning we have an ops part and we have a dev part yeah. and uh, the demand management is mostly within the business areas. Okay. Sometimes more evolved, sometimes less evolved, so that's the standard setup. Mm -hmm. But then of course we already have like the first islands where indeed they're, they're working at the end of the day in a, in a biz DevOps kind of way. Yeah. Um, and that's the, what we're aiming for. So a very, very close uh, cooperation, ideally in cross-functional teams, including the business. Definitely we want to get rid of the, uh, the, the distinction between ops and dev that needs to come together. Um, we're talking uh, 2022. So of course, uh, CI/CD pipelines, of course, uh, cloud services, all of that needs to be there yeah. in order to make sure that you can produce productively. And yeah. that also means this... This is not just about technology. This is not even about organization. It's again about mindset. So you need to bring the right people together. You need to allow them to take decisions together. Yeah. And you need to, be, uh, to empower them to take the responsibility for what they produce. And this, this is, at the end of the day, what we want to do, um, ideally in uh, biz DevOps teams. Sometimes that will be 
true cross-functional teams. Mm -hmm. In other cases, it'll be more like there's a, a business, um, maybe not even owner, but maybe just, I don't know, a contact person. Yeah. Depends. I don't think one size fits all. Yeah. And we will adapt here. But at the end of the day, the idea, the, the ideal picture would be biz DevOps teams. That's what we're aiming for. Okay. Now, the European Central Bank is quite a unique organization. There's only one of it. Uh, so I can imagine that also some of your systems, your um, IT supporting system and so on, are quite unique. Yes. So how would you, what percentage would you say of your systems are bespoke and, and tailor-made? And how much um, standard systems can you, uh, can you implement in an organization like yours? Uh, good question. What's the percentage? Yeah, um, or... So it's certainly true. We have a lot of bespoke systems. Mm -hmm. So I mean that that comes with the job, yep. right? So uh, your analysis there is absolutely spot on. Um, we also do try to use uh, standard systems for things that are standard. Mm -hmm. So of course for HR, really the the whole ERP, um, but also for for some other things. Um, so Confluence is nothing, for example, um, that is specific or actually the, the need to collaborate in, in some form or another. It could be M365, could be Confluence, could be a combination mm -hmm. of the two. Yeah. All these things, of course, we try to use in a standard way, right? Mm -hmm. And they make up a, a, a big percentage of the, of the things we do. Yeah. But then, of course, there are very specific systems which have to do with our own operations. Yeah. And where are you in the, and what's your, the ECB strategy around cloud? Because that's, I mean, in such a highly regulated financial environment, do you have like a 100% cloud strategy or you have your own data centers or you outsource your data centers? What is, what is the, the plan there or the strategy there? So for the time being, we do have our own data centers mm -hmm. um, and they will remain there. So for the foreseeable future, they will be there. Um, we're also looking towards the public cloud. Mm -hmm. That is indeed uh, uh, something that is on the agenda, that's ongoing. Yeah. And we see more and more things moving there. And we're also pushing for that because we strongly believe it's a necessity. Mm -hmm. um, and I always say that uh, uh, we need to make sure that we can operate in the future. We have to look towards the future. And there's two reasons why we have to employ cloud services. Mm -hmm. One of them is indeed security. Mm -hmm. Very important because uh, we need security really at also at the scale of the hyperscalers. We need to make sure that we can tap into the security yeah. potential. Um, we're living in a, in, a, in a world where cybersecurity is very, very important and it's getting more important by the day. Yeah. Uh, the recent events uh, in the East have shown that again. So we need to make sure that we tap into the security potential that we have also, yeah. also there. So that's the one thing. And the other thing is a, is a, is a very obvious necessity. Uh, quite a few services don't even exist on-prem anymore. Yeah. You don't okay. get them. So it's a business continuity case. No. And with this, I'm not even talking about the benefits. I'm only talking about those two no. really necessary reasons why we have to do this. At the same time, at the same time, and please let me, let me also add this. I'm personally a little bit frustrated that in Europe, we cannot really compete with that. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. I don't like it, no. but that's a fact. And to me, that means we need to do two things. We need to make sure that we use the hyperscalers in order not to fall further behind. Mm -hmm. Very important. Making sure we can do business. And at the same time, we need to also build up Europe in terms of the available services yeah. here. And for me, that also means that I have to make sure that I support this in, in, in all possible forms. Yeah. 
Um, so making sure that it's not just one side and then we forget about it, but really we do both things at the same time yeah. is really important to me. So you see it as a role as, as of, of, let's maybe say, all European institutions to make sure that to support European cloud players so that we're not only depending on, on the Azures and the AWSs and the Googles and so on. Yes, that would be my, my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. But as you can imagine, it's a, it's a highly discussed topic, no, yeah. not just at the ECB. It's also in the, in the national banks and even beyond that. Yeah. So whenever I talk to the commission, when I talk to, to the parliament, when I talk to uh, some of the, my German contacts yeah. that I used to have from Deutsche Bahn, um, even though Deutsche Bahn itself is very far ahead, uh, but with the, with the um, public institutions, it's a discussion all over the place. I can imagine. All over the place. Yeah. And data sovereignty? is super important in there. So making sure who has control over your data once it's in the cloud and so on is super Absolutely, important. but you know what? I, I'm not exactly sure what people are thinking. Mm -hmm. So we're just taking our data and putting it there for everyone to see. That's not what we're doing, of no. course not. So we're talking about taking the appropriate uh, steps to protect it, so we're talking encryption at rest, in transit, so, so that's a given. Yeah. So we're not talking about just handing it over. We're talking about using technology in order to do our business, but of course we're protecting our data. Yeah. Yeah. And here we're also, when, when we talk about sovereignty, several things usually get mixed up. So it's data sovereignty, mm -hmm. that's one thing. It's operational sovereignty, that's another thing. And it's technological sovereignty. Mm -hmm. That's the third uh, thing. And we need to be a little bit more precise when we talk about sovereignty, what we mean. And for data sovereignty, very clear, of course we protect our data, mm -hmm. very clear. Yeah. And can you elaborate a little bit on operational and technical um, sovereignty? Yes, of course. Uh, so, so data sovereignty is really, it's, it's mostly about the confidential, like confidentiality mm -hmm. topic, yeah. right? So you need to make sure that you are in charge of your data. Yeah. So the operational is who runs this? Mm -hmm. Who runs this? And who, at the end of the day, has, if push comes to shove, the power to, to push the button off. and switch it off? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean... No one knows how the next elections in some countries will go, you know? So that's, that's an issue. Um, and uh, the last issue really concerns technical sovereignty, mm -hmm. uh, which is very much about, are we capable of taking our own technology decisions? Because at the end of the day, we're not. Mm -hmm. Because the technology we cannot rebuild, we're lagging like 10 years behind. Uh, I'm hoping that some European players that we hope to support can catch up. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we are further behind and that, uh, no matter what kind of, of legal constructions we build, like um, um, corporations between telcos in, in, in Europe and hyperscalers in the US, yeah. that's all wrappers around the technology that's not ours. Okay. And are there upcoming and, and promising European cloud players that European institutions should, should support and, uh, and, and, and work with? Well, there are a few. Mm -hmm. There are a few. They are mostly, um, um, the biggest ones we have are mostly engaged in the infrastructure as a service business. Mm -hmm. They're only now starting to grow into the platform as a service business. I'm not sure that they would subscribe to my statement just now, but <laughs> that's what I see. Um, and uh, um, I think we can start and we should start using them as well. Mm -hmm. um, of course, they don't have neither the volume nor the services. So if, the, if you look at the service portfolios, especially in the platform as a service business, yeah. um, and if you compare like, I don't know, uh, AWS or Microsoft, but, but some of the European ones, I mean, they can't compete. Yeah. That, that's a given. But at the end of the day, um, for some things, you don't even need that. So when we start with infrastructure as a service, we can maybe take it from there. And yeah. they, yes, there are some. And we should definitely try, uh, try to look towards them and see what we can do there. Okay.
Enough about the IT organization, cloud uh, platforms and so on. Let's talk about your role. I mean, you're now the CIO uh, for about a year at ECB. What is fundamentally, how do you look at your own role? What is your fundamental role in the organization? And, and, and can you illustrate that maybe where you spend most of your time? You mean besides drinking coffee? <laughs> and, and talking to people. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, seriously, that's the most important part of my job. Mm -hmm. It's drinking coffee and talking to people. Of mm -hmm. course, the, the latter part. Um, so my, my role, um, when, I, when I started at the ECB, I found that we have excellent managers there. Um, they don't need me. So that's not an issue. What we needed and what I try to provide now is uh, a little bit more on the, on the, on the leadership side. Mm -hmm. Given this direction, giving it the drive, the energy, yeah. and also a very clear statement that says, hey, we have to speed up Europe. It's, it's my motto, it's let, hashtag let's speed up Europe, mm -hmm. because I strongly believe that we need to do this and introduce this kind of energy into it. That's more or less what I try to do, um, so more on the leadership side. Um, but at the end of the day, leadership is also just a job. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a job that is, in itself not providing value, the value comes from the people who do the actual work, mm -hmm. but it's supporting them in their, in their work, giving them the direction they need so yeah. that they can take good decisions and really live up to the best. That's what I try to do. Yeah. Now, you've been in the business for some time already, and this is your second uh, job as, as a CIO, if I understand yes. it well. So if you look back 10 years ago, the role of the CIO then, today the role of the CIO, and, and, and if we have a crystal ball and look into the future, how do you see this role of the CIO evolving over the years? Hmm. Um, I'm just thinking of this little detour we took, you know, introducing CDO roles. So interestingly enough, uh, the CIO role has uh, over time not changed fast enough. Mm -hmm. But I think it is doing it, is doing it now. Mm -hmm. So um, what has changed? Well, the way we use technology has changed. Mm -hmm. um, IT used to be something on the, on, the, on the sidelines. So it used to be something where, where um, business um, basically put some demands and they should be you know, fulfilled there. Yeah. It's not working like that anymore. It's not. Because IT, no matter where you are, really is part of your production. Yeah. Yeah? So, so um, if, you, if you run a machinery park, mm -hmm. then it's totally clear that the COO, who is responsible for that, yeah. is part of the board. Yeah? So in IT, which is now the modern machinery, if you will, um, we very often don't have the CIO on the, on the board level yet, but it will get there. Yeah. So it, is, it has really changed from basically being the supplier for the business to being part of the business. Yeah. And this is what we see, and this is how they two merge, and that's good. So Claudia, your lead team of, uh, of, of around 300 people, are they all internals or do you have external people as well? What, what's, what's your sourcing model uh, in IT? The 300 are internal. Uh -huh. um, we have quite a few more externals uh -huh. in addition to that. Um, the sourcing model is a, is a, is a mixed one. Mm -hmm. So um, we have, of course, some managed service providers. We also have some uh, time and material uh -huh. um, in place. So it's, it's, it's a mixture. Mm -hmm. But all in all, um, we have way less internals than we have external. Okay. So how, much, how many do you think in total will be working for you on a, on a daily basis? Over a thousand, Over I a would thousand. say. Okay. So it should be another... Um, it, it really depends. It really depends. So um, what, what we need to, to do is make sure that we have the knowledge on the inside. Mm -hmm. 
we need to be able to, to uh, work with our partners in such a way that we can clearly express where we want things to go, where yeah. we need things to go, so that we can work as a team. And that also means that we need to have the knowledge, also the technology knowledge, yeah. on the inside. This cannot be only about contract management and, yeah. and putting the demand forward, but you really need to be able to, to communicate and build teams with our partners as well. Yeah. Now, we already talked about how to create an, a, a, a cool environment for people to come and work, to attract talent, to retain talent. Uh, we all, uh, but how would you describe your, your management style? How do you make your team successful? To be perfectly honest, I think this is, this is a question you should ask my people. Okay. So, and you're invited to do that. <laughs> so uh, I, will, I will happily forward some contacts. Ask them. Ask okay. them. So, I will, so let's turn the question around. Uh, and let's talk about leadership, that's all, because uh, leadership is, like you said, a very, very important aspect of, 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 of your job as well. So how do you think your people will perceive you? How do you think you are perceived as a leader? If I go and talk to them, what do you think they will say uh, when yeah. you're not around? Yeah, um, indeed, this is such an interview question, you know, <laughs> so, okay. Um, but I'm going to give you the same answer. Ask them. Mm -hmm. Ask them. So what I try to do is I try to be clear about where, where I think we should go. Mm -hmm. um, I also try to be, to be open to discuss uh, where we should go. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I trust people to, to find their way there themselves. And hopefully, hopefully, yeah. this is what they will tell you. Um, and of course, we keep on asking our people. We're doing lots of service every, uh, at, le at least uh, every two months a little bit uh, uh, more often than that, where we ask them, is the direction we're taking, is that correct? Um, are you with us on this one? Do you think that's okay? Mm -hmm. um, and we get lots of really, really good feedback. Yeah. And I like to think that also has a little bit to do with, um, with the style that I introduced, but I'm not the only one. You know, yeah. there, there's more people uh, providing leadership. That's yeah. not just about me. And again, please let me say this. Um, leadership is just, it's, it's just a job. And it's not the most important job. The most important job is done where people produce things, mm -hmm. where they generate value. I'm in, as a leader, I'm in a supporting role for them, not the other way around. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about, more about you as a person and as a leader. And what, I'm, what I think is very important in, in digital leadership and leadership in general is the, the, the core things that drive you and, and one of the, the core characteristics that drive you. And so I would like to, to, to deep dive a little bit and, and ask you, well, how would, how would you describe your core values? What is the things that, that are important of you? And can you give an example of these? Professionally, mm -hmm. professionally, I try to live by my digital values. Mm -hmm. And for me, a, a, a colleague of mine, a former colleague of mine came up with them and I keep on repeating them because I really think he, he hit it spot on. Mm -hmm. Digital values. Open, connected, simple. Okay. And for me, that means when, when we look towards solutions, um, mostly on the digital side, but in everything, really, it's, it's very much about, are they open? Everyone can use them. Mm -hmm. Are they connected, as in integrated? Yeah. Are they simple? Mm -hmm. And that sounds so easy, but it's not. When yeah. we look towards what we currently have and how we operate, we find that more often than not, they're neither of those mm -hmm. things. So that means for me, this is what we have to look out for. Whatever we do in the way we, uh, we, we operate and what we build, open, connected, simple. Digital values, clear orientation. Okay. Claudia, 
Very straightforward question. What is your secret dream? <laughs> my, my secret dream? I, I'm not sure that I have a secret dream. Um, what, I, what I really would, would like to see that uh, when, when I leave the job for the next person to take on, so the next iteration, yeah. I call it, um, you can only do so much in one iteration, yeah. then someone else has to take over. I think that's important. Um, at the end of the day, if, if we have the feeling that um, we have generated some momentum, we've brought some speed to this, no. we've, we've modernized, we've made sure that people understand that digital is the future, mm -hmm. um, then I think we've achieved a lot. Yeah. And then I can happily move on to new, new uh, horizons. Uh, but uh, there's still quite a bit of work cut out for us here. Well, you're just there one year. Of yeah, course, there's indeed. still a lot of work. So, so. So, so that's your professional dream. But on a personal level, if everything is possible, there's no limits, how it's, what, what's, what's your dream? <laughs> <laughs> I really still like to hit the keyboard. So I'm, I'm, I used to be a developer and I, I love programming. Mm -hmm. It's fun. For me, it's still a hobby. So um, if I could choose like totally freely um, and there were no other things where I think I could make a contribution and I should, then I guess what I would love to do would just, you know, take a laptop and travel around the world, program on some beaches somewhere in Asia, somewhere in Latin America um, and do open source software. I'd love that. Okay. So be an open source, digital nobot, travel yeah. the world. That's so that's your secret dream, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. great. You know? Yeah. I'd like that. <laughs> Another, I can dream, can't yeah. I? Yeah. <laughs> Another uh, one of my favorite questions is that you've built a lot of success, clearly. Otherwise you wouldn't be in this uh, in this position and leading this team in such an important institute, right? Um, but we all make our our mistakes. We all have our failures. So could you pinpoint one thing that was your most brilliant failure? And can you explain what you learned from that? I will not share my most brilliant failures here uh, uh, in front of the camera. Um, but I can, I can share a very early one that taught me mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I remember when I was still a developer, that, that's, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, for the techies amongst us, uh, I forgot to put a where clause uh, uh, in an update statement. Mm -hmm. And thus, I uh, basically, I yeah, shredded the database. And all of a sudden, uh, everyone in the company could not continue to work. Okay. And then you're looking out the window and you're wondering what all those people are doing down there. And they're like, yeah, well, they're outside. They're just grabbing a cigarette or... They couldn't work because of one of your they, failures. They couldn't work wow. because I forgot something, <laughs> you know? And uh, it's taught me a lot. It's taught me, um, um, first of all, when really, when push comes to shove, um, what really is important is having good colleagues. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, everything worked extremely well and uh, we interacted, we made sure that people could get back to work. And we worked as a team. Mm -hmm. That was amazing, that experience that no one really looked towards uh, what went wrong here, but it was always, always like, how do we find a solution? Um, and after, I don't know, half an hour or something, uh, we were back on track. Mm -hmm. And you know, everyone would, you know, just, just try to make sure that you're okay. Mm -hmm. Because of course, I mean, your heart is, 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 is you know, racing and, and wow, it's intense. Mm -hmm. um, so a team is important. Very first lesson. Second lesson, 
there's very simple technical measures you can put in place in order to make sure that something like this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And you need to invest time on them. So in this very case, something very simple, never ever work as an administrator uh, in accounts where you don't need to work in as, in, as an administrator. I mean, very simple lesson. And it's good to have that lesson very early in your career. Yeah. Um, and now that I'm in IT management, of course, I have to think in totally different dimensions mm -hmm. in terms of risk preventions and, and, and things like that. Yeah. But the very basic lesson you learn there is one that stays with you because it was very emotional, of course. Um, and you can expand from that idea. Yeah. Yeah? And, and so small failure, in hindsight at least, um, but it's taught me quite a few things. Okay. Looking at the positive side of things, if you had to select one thing, what, what would be the, the best thing that's ever happened to you? I'm not going to put anything professional here, but a, a very personal statement, which is I'm, I was born and raised in Europe. Mm -hmm. Being born and raised in Europe is a privilege. Yeah. It's a privilege, and one I think that we are not even aware of most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to, to live freely, to grow up in a society uh, that actually values you, that values you as an individual, um, getting an education, making sure that you have chances in your life, those things are really, really important. And I think the best thing that's happened to me was being born here into this society. Yeah. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for it. And it's, again, the reason why I work at the European Central yeah. Bank. If you don't work, and I can imagine, I mean, you have a challenging job and you have a big team, so I can imagine that you work hard, uh, even though we all have to manage the uh, work-life balance. But outside of work, where, where are your personal passions? I know it's going to sound crazy, but what I really like to do, again, as a hobby, is programming. So I really like coding. <laughs> I hit the keyboard whenever I can because it's fun, it relaxes me. Mm -hmm. um, and other than that, of course, it's, it's, it's family, it's friends. Uh, that, that's what, where you get the energy. Yeah. Um, that's where you get to, to take on the next day and the next challenge again. Yeah. Um, so we like to be outside. Um, we like to travel a lot. Um, you so even renovated your house yourself, you told yes, me. Yes, 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 yes. We renovated our house, even though that was already uh, uh, 14 years ago. And I have no idea where I got all the energy uh, from mm -hmm. when we did that. I had no idea if I could do it again, probably not, I'm yeah. too old now. But yes, uh, I like to do things with my hands and, and see something, evo uh, something yeah. develop. In your personal, professional life, who are the figures that you look up to? And, and did you have any mentors, people that played an important role and that you learned something from? Quite a few, actually. Mm -hmm. So um, um, people come to mind, two professors, one fellow student, uh, um, some former bosses. So I'm, I've been very privileged in always having yeah. amazing people in my life, um, quite a few. And for me, the most motivating thing is if there's someone I look up to, mm -hmm. um, someone I admire, and that person sees me and believes in me and invests in me. Yeah. So a uh, very simple example, my f the, the fellow student I just talked about, um, first year of my studies, you know, I told you it's not always just a straight line. I, I did not spend too much at university. Uh, it was fun times, so we had a really good time. And then at some point I realized, oh, I'm a little bit behind. Um, and in mathematics, that can, that can be quite severe, uh, being behind by a while. And so I had to sit down and, and, and play catch up. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this, uh, this other student, um, still a great friend of mine, and he invested quite a few Saturday afternoons in order to explain some of that really difficult stuff to yeah. me. Because he believed that I could do it at a point where I thought, I'm not sure that I can manage. Mm -hmm. But he did. 
he believed I could manage. Yeah. And I found similar situations uh, during studies, during my jobs. There were always people um, who believed that I could do it. And if I admire them, if I look up to them, that's the biggest motivation you can give me, the biggest booster, because I don't want to disappoint them. Yeah. Do you have a, a personal mantra, a saying that helps you in times where you have to make difficult decisions or just to keep things simple? You, I mean, you like things open, connected, simple. So you have a mantra that, that helps you in that? Um, maybe, not, maybe not one, maybe several. So, uh -huh. so one thing I always like to say is waiting is not an action. Mm -hmm. Waiting is not an action. It's not by me. I've read it somewhere, but it, it's something I go by. Yeah. Another thing I really like is... Um, um, <clears throat> If you don't fail, <laughs> you're not innovative enough mm -hmm. because that's part of the job. You know, it's learning. We need to do this. And uh, another one that I live by, and that, that one's not stolen by someone else. Uh, uh, it's mine. It's, um, there's very, very few problems that could not be solved by just sitting down together and having beer together. Having beer. Having a beer together. You know, or a coffee, it doesn't really matter. But, it, what but is a, good, a good German beer helps. <laughs> <Now and laughs> it does, but hey, I'm in Belgium, so yes, you have or really good, good Belgian beer as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for all these insights, Claudia. But if, if you would have to say, what is the one thing that drives you in your work? What, what would that be? The one thing that drives me in my work is indeed that I strongly believe that Europe has to play an important role in meeting the challenges we are facing as a planet. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about climate change. I'm talking about the political tensions we're, and the, the geopolitical tensions really we're currently experiencing. Yeah. And I think Europe has a valuable and very, very important contribution to make. But that also means that Europe has to work. Yeah. We have to make this a functioning society that's capable of taking decisions and take, capable of taking actions. And being a contributor to this is what drives me. That's what makes me get up in the morning. And I think that's uh, the reason for most of the people at the ECB to get up in the morning. That's what we're here for. Okay, great. And so my last question is, what is the, looking back into your career, uh, and you've learned many, many things, uh, if you distill the best parts of, out of that, so what would then be the advice that you would give to your younger self or that you would give to future digital leaders that are watching this interview? Hmm. Um, the most important part, I think, is knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. Knowing yourself. And that means find out what you're really passionate about. Mm -hmm. What drives you? What, what, what makes you get up in the morning? Why? Mm -hmm. Why? And once you know what you're passionate about, you also will find very soon um, what you're good at. And take this, evolve it. Don't dwell on things that you cannot do too well. And we, we all have our weaknesses, but find out what you're really passionate about, what you're really good at. Take this and run with it. That would be my advice. Okay, and on that note, Claudia, thank you so much. Thank you for coming over to our office. It was a pleasure. And uh, let's go and have a beer. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And yes, let's go for that beer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>